Well, good morning, church. Uh, so sorry not to be with you in person, uh, but it's very difficult to be with you when I'm in Kathmandu. Um, now, as has undoubtedly been said, we're continuing our series uh, in the book of Luke, the king and his kingdom. And today we're going to be looking at Luke 21. So if you have a Bible, please uh, pick it up and open it and uh, find Luke chapter 21. It's quite a long passage that I'm going to read, uh, but then we'll see what we can draw out of that passage. So I'm going to be reading from Luke 21, starting from verse 5 and reading up to verse 36. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Well, teacher, they asked, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. And then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison and you'll be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfilment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars on the earth Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and with great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. 
for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to be able to stand before the Son of Man. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to hear your voice today. As we consider your words in this passage, I pray that you would speak to us, that we would hear, each of us would hear what we need to hear, what you want us to hear. And also, Lord, you'd help us just to forget, just to drop anything that I say today that isn't helpful. So I ask, come by your spirit and minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, having heard me read read that passage out, I wonder what you think it's primarily about. What is that passage mainly about? And I wouldn't be surprised if many of you thought it's all about the end times, you know, the the end of the world, the the signs to look out for that Jesus is returning soon and uh, predicting those events and, and actually some of the the maybe wackier things which come along with all that, reading the signs of the times, predicting the date of Jesus' return, talking about blood moons and, you know, US foreign policy and the political state of Israel, all those kind of things. But I don't think actually this passage is primarily about that. Uh, There are certainly parts of the passage that you can look at and think, well, you know, that seems to have a, a, a longer term meaning or a more general meaning. Maybe that is referring to the second coming of Christ. Um, You know, like the imagery in there of the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory. Actually, though, that imagery is taken from Daniel chapter 7. And it's not in in that context. It's not about Jesus returning to earth. It's really referring to his vindication and his enthronement in heaven. And um, without being able to really go into the detail of it, that, that interpretation can very easily be read in the light of what I think Jesus is talking about primarily in this passage. So what he's mostly speaking about here is a very specific event that would happen in the first century, um, around 40 years after Jesus says these words. And that event is the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. So a Jewish uprising started around 66 AD against the Romans, who were the occupying power. But the end result of that was actually the uprising was brutally ended. It was crushed. And part of that, a big part of that was in 70 AD when Jerusalem was surrounded and besieged. And then the Romans went in and they destroyed the temple. They, they knocked it down. They burnt the temple. And that, that is what Jesus is prophesying. That's what he's mainly talking about. And I think we can be confident in that, first of all, because it's what the disciples ask him. You know, in verse six and seven, uh, Jesus has just said, referring to the temple, he's just said, not one stone will be left on top of another. And then the disciples ask him, well, when will this happen And what are the signs that it's going to happen? So that's the question that Jesus is answering. It's it's also what he describes, not only in verse six, where he talks about the temple, but also later on in verse 20. He says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, it's very specific. You will know that its desolation is near. I think where a bit of confusion can come is that the equivalent passages in Matthew and Mark, they do have a lot more in them that is referring to the end of the world. But Luke has written his gospel differently. He's a historian. He's written it for a different audience. And he's kind of separated out a lot of that teaching. Um, And Luke 17 was all about Jesus teaching about the the future coming of the kingdom, which Neil spoke on a few weeks ago. 
So I think Jesus primarily here is talking about that specific event. And and really what he's talking about is a time that was coming soon when their world, when the disciples world would be completely turned upside down. Because the destruction of the temple, that would just be a catastrophic moment for the Jewish people. The, the, the significance of the temple is it's, it's beyond our what we can imagine. It, it's just hugely significant. It's the center of their religious life. It's where you go to meet God and to pray and to worship and to, to, to bring your offerings. Um, it, you know, I guess a recent example, a more recent example of a destruction of a building would be the Twin Towers in in Manhattan, in, in New York. And of course, that involved catastrophic loss of life. But there was also something symbolic about those Twin Towers, symbolic about America or about the West. But the symbolism, the significance of the temple in that sense is, is like the Twin Towers times a hundred or times a thousand. It's just hugely significant. And Jesus is telling them, this is what is going to happen. Your world is going to be turned upside down. Everything is going to become very challenging. Everything's going to become very uncertain. But this is what's going to happen. And this is how you should respond. While the immediate context of what Jesus is saying is to do with that devastating event that was coming, I think there's lots in here that, that, that can teach us in our world, in our present world, about how to live the kingdom in a very uncertain world, which we are in, isn't it? Now, remember, the kingdom means the rule and the reign of God. Wherever the rule and reign of God is in, in people's lives, in, in people's hearts, it's not a territorial thing. So, so it's how, how do we live as people who are under the rule and reign of God? How do we live the kingdom out in a world that is so full of uncertainties as our present world is? And I think there are some threads and some principles that we can take from Jesus' teaching here. And, and obviously there's lots in this passage that I'm not going to be able to cover. Um, but some principles that we can apply to our lives and our circumstances. So the first of those, the first uh, of those uh, kind of principles is to keep Jesus at the center at all times. You know, when everything is shaking, when the world is upside down and it's completely disorientating, keep Jesus at the center, both internally in our internal life and also externally in, in how we bear witness to him, keep him central. So in verse eight, Jesus says, just, just as he's answering that question the disciples have asked, you know, when's this gonna happen? What will it look like? First thing he says to them is, watch out, that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. Do not follow them. Times of upheaval and distress and uncertainty, they, they present opportunities for false saviors to come along. Now in our day, it's, it's not going to be as stark as someone popping up claiming to be the Messiah. Um, you may well have had that in the first century Jewish world because of course they were waiting for a messiah the messiah prophesied in the old testament and they hadn't realized that he was already among them they kind of missed it and jesus is warning his disciples not to listen to anyone else who comes along claiming to be that messiah in, in times of upheaval we tend to look for saviors for signs of hope charismatic saviors who seem to offer hope and i guess a, a, a good historical example of that would be hitler you know, who came along, who rose to power at a time in uh, in Germany that was very uncertain. Uh, the country was hurting um, and economically was in a terrible way. You know, unemployment was huge and inflation was huge. 
And then suddenly this guy comes along who seems to have all the answers and restores some glory back to the back to the nation. You know? But Jesus is saying to his disciples, no, don't look to anyone else for salvation other than him. He, he is the Messiah. He is the savior. Nobody else. Keep him central. Don't let your gaze wander from him. But what does that look like for us? In one sense, of course, idolatry is always a problem of the human heart at any time where we we rely on the wrong things or we worship the wrong things, really. But we we put our trust in the wrong things for our foundation and for our hope, where we we take good things uh, like our careers or our family or relationships. We take good things, but turn them into ultimate things that these things become the source of our meaning and purpose and our hope in life. We turn good things into ultimate things, and they're things that will always let us down in the end. That, that kind of idolatry of the heart is something that we always have to be aware of. But there is something about crisis and upheaval that can get us looking to false saviours. So take the last couple of years during the, the pandemic. I would say that at times, in the way that it's been presented by politicians, by the prime minister... I would say that scientists have often been held up as our salvation. You know, they will provide the way out. This is our way out. And I'm not going to get into talking about the vaccine and all that kind of stuff. But scientists are not our salvation. Right now, don't get me wrong. I massively admire, uh, uh, appreciate. I'm amazed by the work of many scientists and, and undoubtedly our lives are hugely improved in all sorts of ways through advances in science and medicine. So don't get me wrong on this, but that is not where salvation lies. Or the NHS. All right. Now, this might be controversial, so just forget, ignore me if you think I'm being unfair. But we did the whole thing of, of thank you to the NHS, which was great. That's that was that was good to recognise something about how hard people were working. But I would say that at times it's bordered on or gone over the border of of worship, <laughs> really worship of the NHS. And again, don't get me wrong, I'm massively grateful for the NHS, for the doctors, for the nurses, for all they do, for the tough conditions they've been working in. It's not a criticism, but the NHS is not our salvation. It is not something to be worshipped. I hope you, you understand what I'm saying. There's been a lot of political turmoil um, recently, in recent years. Just think of Trump in the USA. Who, who could ever see that coming? But what is noticeable, or what was noticeable, is that the, the pretty much religious fervour among some of his followers. Upheaval can get us looking to false saviours. And there have been many times, personally, many times over the last couple of years where I have taken my eyes off Jesus and... And I've got swamped, really, by all the news reports and the social media, and not in a way that drives me to prayer, but, but a way that drives me more towards depression and a sense of hopelessness. And I'm sure many of you can identify with that. But the very simple lesson from all of that is, you know what? I don't need more media in my life. I don't need more information. I need more of Christ. That's what I need. I need more of him. I need him at the centre. And actually, I believe that there is a call on us right now as a church. We've had many prophetic words about this. A call on us as a church to a greater simplicity and greater intimacy with Jesus. And uh, we're going to be exploring that together next term. There is a tendency in the human heart to latch on to false saviours and to place our hope in the wrong things, things that will let us down. But as followers of Jesus, we must keep him 
central. He is our hope. He is our salvation in all circumstances. And that should show also in the way that we witness to others, that he is central in that. Jesus goes on to tell his disciples about the persecution that they're going to face. He says that, you know, they will be imprisoned. They'll be brought before kings and governors. And in verse 13, in that context, he says, and so you will bear testimony to me. You will bear testimony to me. You will bear witness to me. And he assures them they'll be given the words to say. Now, we don't face that kind of persecution in this nation. At the moment, we don't anyway. But it is clear that when we face tribulation, when we face upheaval and difficult circumstances, we are to take every opportunity to witness about Christ to the world. And, you know, from the beginning of the pandemic, that has been the constant encouragement. To, to be the light of Christ for those around us. If you think right back to the beginning when none of us knew what was going on, the call and the encouragement was be, be the light of Jesus, shine the light of Jesus, be a source of hope for people because they see the peace you have in your life. And that's the thing, to be able to bear witness about Christ, he has to be at the centre of our lives so that we can tell people why he and nothing or no one else, why he is our hope and our salvation. We've got to be living that story out. You know, why we can know genuine and deep peace and hope while the world is in turmoil. And actually that links to the second principle of living the kingdom in an uncertain world. So first is to keep Jesus central in our lives and in our witness to the world. In verse nine, Jesus says this. He says, when you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. Do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Now, again, Jesus is speaking in a specific context here of an event that was coming. But I think there is a general principle here. Do not be frightened. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. And if we believe in a sovereign God, well, then that principle is true in all circumstances. And it's actually a result of keeping Jesus at the center to be able to not be afraid. Now, my observation is that we live in a very, very fearful world, a very anxious world. So by the time you're watching this on, on, on the Sunday, I don't know what will have happened, but the fear with the current crisis in Ukraine is, of course, that maybe it will escalate and who knows, could even involve nuclear weapons. That is a fear that is really gripping some, some people, you know, that, that fear of what might happen. And, of course, the last two years have been two years of such a lot of fear and anxiety. I think it's fear and anxiety that has been bred and actually, I think, exacerbated by many of the measures that we've taken. Um, the fear has been huge and it's changed how people live. I think the government has used fear as a means of getting people to comply and it's had really quite devastating results. And again, I'm not, I'm not going to get into all that right now. We could be here for, for a long time. But my question for you and... Let me put in a caveat here, okay, before I ask this question. Let me put in a caveat. I know, I know that some of you have had to navigate through some really, really complex health issues and concerns, whether in yourself or in people who are close to you who are vulnerable, and you've had to do what is right for you. And so none of this is a criticism of that. Please hear that. Please understand. This is not about condemning anybody or saying that we should be reckless with our health or our lives or anything like that. Please Please understand that. But my question for all of us who are followers of Jesus is, is this. Have you allowed a spirit of fear 
and anxiety into your life? Have you allowed a spirit of fear in? Jesus knows that we will face fears because fears are God-given natural response when we feel under threat. And so when he says, do not fear, well, he's not saying just, just suppress it, you know, pretend, pretend it's okay. No, he's not saying that. What he is saying is that when we experience fear, we are to take it to him. Like we see so often in the Psalms where we see, you know, every emotion under the sun brought very honestly and expressed to God. And it kind of opens a door for God to come back in and to move in that situation and to, 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 to be back at the center again. We are to take fear to him and choose to live by faith and trust in him and not let fear have the final word in our lives. Don't let fear have the final say in your life. We can be, of course, legitimately concerned when we look at world events. We can be legitimately concerned about anything that seems to pose a threat to our lives or our, or our well-being. But we mustn't let fear take root and become a spirit of fear. Because a spirit of fear, uh, it affects your whole life. It, it paralyzes you. It imprisons you. It isolates you. It takes your eyes off Jesus. Really, it leads to a diminished and a shrunken life. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and and self-discipline. Jesus tells his disciples in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. So do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And again, this is not about pretending that there's nothing to be concerned about, but it is about living a life of faith and complete trust in Jesus and not letting fear have the final word. Now, I guess that a lot of the fear that has been around is ultimately rooted in a fear of death. You know, the fear that's come as a result of the of, of the pandemic, it's ultimately rooted in a fear of death and the resulting grief that is caused because nobody wants that in their lives. Nobody wants that kind of grief. But Jesus addresses this in, in, in the passage in verse 16 to 19. He says to his disciples, they will put some of you to death. And everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. I mean, that seems like a huge contradiction, doesn't it? You will die, but not a hair of your head will perish. Or you will die, but through your endurance and and standing firm, you will gain life. Sounds like a huge contradiction to us. But of course, he's referring to the fact that through his death and resurrection through through the cross and what he won on the cross, he is one eternal life for us, for those who put their trust in him. And he says it outside Lazarus's tomb as well. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Again, you could take that as a contradiction, but he's talking about eternal life. And the reality is, and we all know this, The reality is that our present bodies are vulnerable and we will die. And we don't actually know when that will happen. As I was saying this just a couple of weeks ago um, on a a Sunday morning, that's not in our control. You know, we kid ourselves we're in control of our lives. We're really not. But for those whose hope is in Jesus, death is a doorway into an eternal resurrection life with imperishable bodies. Glorious. And so I guess the rather blunt question is, what's the worst that could happen? What is the worst that could happen? And again, please hear me, please believe me. I'm not being flippant about the value of life or saying that we should be reckless with our lives. God tells us to steward our lives. I don't want people to be ill. I don't want people to die. I hope that is clear. 
But as Christians, we have to look at, at, at the reality that Jesus puts before us. As Christians, we have a far greater hope than this life. Death is not the end. And so we mustn't fear death. We mustn't fear grief. None of us wants it, but we mustn't fear it. And we are to lift our eyes to eternity. This life is but a breath in the context of eternity. And so we put our trust in Jesus and what he won on the cross for us. And don't let a fear of death or any other kind of fear, don't let it stop you living life. Don't let fear stop you living your life. Jesus says, do not be frightened, even in the very worst of circumstances. So keep Jesus at the center. Do not be frightened. And then the final principle, the final thing to say here is to stay alert for the signs of the kingdom. Jesus says in verse 28, when these things begin to take place, as in all the signs that he's been talking about of the the coming catastrophe, when these things uh, begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I kind of picture it like in the underground station where you've got people all along the platform who are who they're, they're sitting on the seats or they're leaning against the wall, kind of minding their own business. But then you feel the air just stir, something moves in the air, and you, and you hear the rumble of a train in the distance. And you see people begin to lift their heads and straighten up, and they move forward in readiness and anticipation of the train that is coming. And as I said before, I don't think that this is about us you know, reading the signs to say, oh, Jesus is coming very imminently, you know, very soon in that very specific sense. But I think it is about us looking for and being alert for the signs of the kingdom. First of all, in the present, in, in our day, signs of God's activity now, looking for where God is already moving in situations or in the lives of others that we know and seeing how he might want to use us, how he might want to use you to bring the kingdom. Pray and see what the Father will do. We talked about this a lot in our Naturally Supernatural series last summer. We are to be alert. We are to have our antenna up. We're to be on the lookout for the activity of God, for kingdom activity, signs of the kingdom all around us. In verse 35, Jesus says, be careful, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Again, How alert are we to the now activity of God, to the kingdom activity of God that he calls us to be part of? Opportunities to pray for healing, opportunities to speak the word of God into someone's life or bring the the comfort or the peace of God into their lives. Divine appointments with people and being alert to those opportunities because we're walking in step with the spirit. Or are our senses dulled by the cares and the anxieties of this life? or by Netflix binges, or by endless hours on social media, or whatever numbing escapist activity is taking our eyes off our first love, Jesus. We're to keep our eyes on him and to keep in step with the spirit. So there's the immediate aspect of looking for for signs of the kingdom, but then there is the longer term aspect of the kingdom. I think this is where this passage does speak into future things. There is a day coming in the future. There is a sure and certain hope we have that the day will come when everything in this world will be restored and put right, that Jesus will return and restore everything, put everything right. That when we see and live through troubles on the earth, actually it's a reminder that a better day is coming. 
and that the bad things we see happening, the bad things we might live through are in a way necessary for the good to come. The kingdom has come and the kingdom is coming in the future. And Jesus says in verse 29 to 31, tells this parable, he says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. It's the sign that summer is coming. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. And church, we have, it feels like we've been through a very long winter, very dark, very cold, very long. And many of us are emerging from that tired and, and bruised. But I really do believe, prophetically, I believe that spring is in the air. Spring is in the air. We are coming into a summer season. I believe that momentum is already building and that that where the ground is arid and parched and dry, the spring rains are coming to bring life and new growth and dry bones are being brought back to life. So let us anticipate it. Let us be excited about it, excited about uh, what God is going to do in us and through us in the days ahead. You know, I think it is really important for us to reflect on the last couple of years and to process it and to allow time for healing. That is really important. But I've got to tell you, I am really looking forward to the time when we're not talking about that anymore. When we're not constantly going on about the last couple of years and how tired we are. We've got to do that, but let us also look forward. Let us be excited about what God is going to do in us and through us in the days ahead. And let us pray. Let us pray into these things. Pray for God's kingdom to come. Pray for his power to break out. Let us pray for a move of his Holy Spirit, an outpouring of his spirit to refresh and heal and equip his church for the battles that we face in the now and the battles we will face in the future and to bring us back into a place of intimacy with Jesus like we have never, ever known before and a greater reliance on his spirit doing the works of the kingdom. That is what God is calling us to. So let us pray into those things. Let us pray. Let us seek him. Let us cry out for more of him and for his spirit to be poured out. We live in a very uncertain world. We all know that. We face many challenges. We face many battles. But for those of us who are in Christ, we stand on a firm foundation Jesus is on the throne. God is on the move. We have a firm foundation. And so keep him at the center. Keep Christ at the center. Do not give in to fear. And let us all stay alert for signs of the kingdom, the kingdom that has come and the kingdom that is coming in the future. Bless you. Uh, Thank you for listening. And I'll see you soon.